Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. From our team to you, welcome to Season 2 of Convert Central. In Season 1, we've had the privilege of interviewing 15 converts across the months of Ramadan and Shawwal. This season, we have created a plethora of topics for every Muslim regardless of our background, our interests and our races. We pray that every podcast that we upload will be beneficial to you guys and meanwhile, enjoy listening to Season 2 of Convert Central. Welcome back to Convert Central. So Alhamdulillah, we are back to Fundamentals to Faith in 2021. So we thought we will finish Fundamentals to Faith last year, but we still have some overdue chapters left. So we are taking the start of 2021 to finish up our Fundamentals to Faith. So for everyone who don't know where we get our content for Fundamentals to Faith from, we actually get them from a book called Muslim Converts Guidebook produced by Darul Akam. It's for free for download on their website. So at any point of time, would you guys like to get more information that we are not able to squeeze into 15 minutes of our podcast, please go back to their website and download the entire guidebook. And we are just like a summary in an audio form for this particular guidebook itself. So as I said, Alhamdulillah, uh, season 2, episode 31, we are today talking about food permissibility in Islam. And today I'm very I'm joined by a very, very special convert. Special because firstly, she works at Darul Akam. And also secondly, I converted in 2018, January, as she did. So I think, you know, both of us are very similar in, in when we converted and also perhaps our journey in Islam. So I'd like to introduce Sis uh, Rabia to, to everybody and also get Sis Rabia to share her story with us before we go into some content. So Sis Rabia, please. Okay. Assalamualaikum, everybody. I'm Sis Rabia. Basically, I'm also a convert. Actually, I'm a Chinese convert since January 2018, even though my journey in Islam started slightly earlier. A little bit of introduction would be that a lot of times people would ask why I did my conversion and stuff like that and what has brought me to learn about Islam. Because I would say that generally, when I first started exploring into Islam, a lot of times my families and friends, they are non-Muslims. Not only that they are non-Muslims, I did not get much of Muslim friends when I was younger, in my earlier days. Naturally, a lot of them were curious about that story. So usually, this is what I would um, share with them, is that I was actually introduced to Islam in 2017. And the route is a little bit unusual, because mine actually, the triggering point to learn about Islam was actually from health. So a lot of times when people ask what is it about health that actually brought me to Islam was actually due to the insomniatic nights that I had with frequent migraines. My health was not exactly in the best shape, to be honest with you, back then. So when I actually had a migraine-triggered attack, which was quite frequent then, in I think about three years even before 2017, it became a common occurrence in my life, honestly speaking. A lot of things were ruled out by doctors and everything. And I make frequent trips to clinics, actually. But most of the time, they will just rule it out as, oh, stress-triggered attacks. Uh, you should take a break from work. Don't be so stressed. Spend more time with family and stuff like that. And I was always given relaxants or, you know, painkillers, which is the common uh, prescription nowadays if you get from doctors. Mm-hmm. But at one point, which I remember... When I actually had this attack once in the middle of my art class, actually. So one of my art teacher, who's also a convert himself, at that point, I didn't know because he dressed very much like a very defined Muslim person. So all this while I had this thinking that um, he's from he's from the ethnic group of Malay. So I did not realize that he's actually Chinese as well. But back then, he actually shared some um, advice, which is health advice, very simply as such like, Oh, he asked me questions like, do you sleep during the timings of 4 o'clock all the way till 5 or 6 p.m. every day? Mm. 
Then back then, I was working in an environment whereby we always call it or term it as monster shift. So basically, mm-hmm. people tend to uh, be awake in the morning to work and then at night, that's when they actually rest. But my shift was actually the opposite. So most mm-hmm. of the time, I ended up sleeping at timings like as such. So when I was told that actually, it was not the most prime time to sleep because these, these are where all my uh, migraine attacks actually mostly come from. Then I began to change my life as well by, by actually changing a different cycle of sleep pattern and so on. So I didn't realize actually this, this approach is quite Islamic in nature because back then it was more like, oh, health advice. I just take it. And then if it helps, why not? Better than doctors. You don't really have to take medicine at least. So yeah. that was when the practice started. And then I realized, hey, there's a certain change in my life. The migraine attacks actually reduces and stuff like that. So among that, I returned to that teacher and began to inquire more. And that was when I was introduced that, oh, actually, it's one of an Islamic practice that Muslims should not sleep at the time of Asaf. Then I decided, oh, since this solves life problems, let's just look into like, you know, what other problems in my life it can solve. So from there, that's when, okay, I wanted to learn more about Islam. Since I asked him, what's his religion? Why is it so special? Why is it so unique? It solves life problems that doctors did not. So he mentioned, oh, my religion is very simple. It's just Islam. But when I just started, I said, so can I actually learn it from you? (laughs) That's when he said, oh, it's actually good to learn from Darakam, which there is a school in here for you. So Mm -hmm. you can actually go. And I believe that the classes here, you may find some relation to what you're looking out for. So that's when I started my Islamic journey. So through years of learning and so on, and together with my then boyfriend, now current husband, (laughs) That's when we both decided in January that we wanted to embrace Islam together. Oh, mashallah. So both you and your husband are converts? Yes. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. That is amazing. So uh, you, you mentioned you came into Islam because of the balance you brought into your life, good practices, mm-hmm. and that's when you saw the beauty of Islam. I did actually hear a, a similar story from another convert who is also Chinese. Oh. Who had, I think he had a certain mental health issue and, and coming to Islam and learning about Islam gave him enough peace to overcome the issue. And I mean, like, second time I hear a similar story to the one that I just mentioned earlier and it's really relate to the experience when I first took my shahada, you know, and I learned, I started learning about Islamic practices and, and why Islam, Muslims do the way they are. I realized that it brings a certain balance to my life, when I should sleep, when I should eat and everything is really mm. in, in control yes. and moderate amounts and I, I feel like that when when I follow these routines, right, that's when I really truly become someone that is very productive, you know, so yes. we becomes very, very happy, very positive and all. So thank you yeah. for sharing with us your, your story. And actually, I think that it brings us just nice to the topic that we're talking about today. We talk about Islamic practices, we talk about routines, we talk about um the benefits of why living an Islamic lifestyle would bring to, to our, you know, to ourselves. And we talk about food in Islam because, you know, food intake is something that directly affects our body. A lot of times when we come into Islam, you know, as a new Muslim, settling into an Islamic lifestyle, you know, it requires an understanding of the guidelines that, that we have as Muslims, right? And a big part of what people talk about when it comes to guidelines is uh, consuming halal food, you know. And uh, it's, it's actually extremely important because, you know, it's an instruction from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the Quran, he says that, you know, we have to eat of the lawful things that he has provided for us, you know, in the second chapter of the Quran. And, you know, uh, just... In summary, for the converts who are, you know, considering Islam or people who have just came into Islam, there are three types of, uh, you know, how we categorize food in Islam. You know, the first one is the lawful, which everyone that is a layman would term halal. 
the, the second type is unlawful uh, or, or not permissible, which is haram. And the one that lies in the middle, you know, dubious, and we, we call them subaha. So as a general guideline, you know, all food and drinks in Islam, they are considered halal unless clearly stated as haram. So this is because of uh, you know Jewish Buddhist uh, implication uh, that you guys can find out more you know when you guys learn about Islam, and uh, the reason why haram food we don't eat is because they are generally harmful to us as Muslims, and uh, this is why you know they are not permissible for us to eat because we won't want to eat things that will harm ourselves, and also in general if uh, lawfulness of a type of food is unclear and that means it's considered as dubious right we typically become more careful about it. So, for example, if you look at many snacks, um, they have particular ingredient called uh, lecithin. So, it can be either from soy-based, you know, sources or animal-based sources. So, depending on which source you obtain this, uh, this particular ingredient from, it is either halal or haram. So, we have to be careful when we choose our food. So, the reason why we have to be careful, you know, to avoid the haram and, and you know, uh, stay clearly halal is because of a narration of the Prophet wasallam. He, he mentioned that, you know, verily the lawful is clear and the unlawful is also clear. And between the two of them are many doubtful matters about which many people don't know of. So he also goes on to mention that, you know, verily in the body is a piece of flesh, which if sound, the entire body is sound. And if it's corrupt, the entire body is corrupt. And truly it is the heart. So that means that there are certain spiritual implications when we eat food that will affect our uh, faith as well. So thankfully for us in Singapore, you know, we have something called the halal certification. If, if you guys don't know yet, uh, that, that means the, generally the green logo on snacks or on uh, particular foods is halal. There's halal certification, it says halal on it. And uh, in Singapore itself, MUIS is the only authorized body to provide a halal certification in Singapore. And that means vendors must qualify with MUIS standards before they are issued with a halal certification. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you are Muslim and you are lazy to check or if you don't want to check whether uh, through the ingredients, whether it's halal, just go for the logo and it's completely safe. Okay. But uh, that also means that other countries have their you know, authorities that certify them and they also have their own halal signs. And the implication is that sometimes they have different standards uh, of considering what is halal or not. So for example, some countries do uh, give halal certifications to, you know, vendors who uh, sell halal food, but also sell alcoholic beverages. So we have to see in which country we are in and, uh, you know, judge for ourselves whether, you know, we are comfortable with consuming food from the vendors or not. But generally, if there's a halal sign around the region, it is safe. So what do we do generally as Muslims when we do not know about whether the food is halal or haram? We ask the manufacturer. And the best thing is if you don't know, avoiding the doubtful is still the best way to go. So just a bite-sized information about food permissibility in Islam. As we move on to the discussion portion of the podcast, you know, I'd like to ask this Rabia, as someone who, you know, you, you, you mentioned that you've got, gotten married now and alhamdulillah for that, you and your husband, maybe we should get you guys on for a podcast, you know, sometime in the future, inshallah. So I, I'm sure you are gotten into the habit of preparing food for your family, right? So as someone who prepares food for the family, you know, and coming into Islam, how has your appreciation for certain guidelines for our Islamic diet increased over time, you know? So basically, to be honest with you, right, Brother Kevin, before I converted, I was basically quite a pampered kid at home. My mom prepares all the food, you know, and then I just have to come home to eat. But over the course of conversion, I would say that I pick up some life skills. So especially in in the culinary aspect, because now um, I'm in charge of my own food and my diet. And also, Mm -hmm. I did not really want to impose this on my family in a sense that oh, they should all definitely eat halal with me. So basically from that, right, 
what I managed to do is to start to look for recipes actually online. So there are yeah. certain recipes where, especially when you miss like a certain type of food a lot. And then that's when you decided to make your own version, but the halal version or the halal yeah. way. I'm quite glad actually to be living in Singapore, whereby, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, in with the movie certification and, and so on and so forth, it has mm-hmm. made so much life ease was given to us in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're just checking on the logo. And on top of that, we are actually quite lucky in Singapore because the import and export of food in Singapore is quite uh, a variety. And in yeah. fact, you may actually find certain types of food available in the supermarket that it's from perhaps from countries like China or yeah. even from America with a certain halal certification on it as well. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about mm-hmm. the blessing of being in Singapore as a Muslim. So mm-hmm. like what you said, you know, it's, you know, beyond the range is also how accessible these halal ingredients and foods mm-hmm. are to us. Just at any market, you will find a halal butcher, you know. So yes. for Muslims, it's really not hard to practice this completely realistic and uh, easy to mm. uh, cook a meal up with entirely halal ingredients sourced through just a halal logo we don't even have to go through mm. the ingredients so yeah, yeah as, you, as you mentioned you know it's, it's probably not difficult for a Muslim to adapt to these certain dietary requirements mm. as coming to Islam and you know I, I do realise in the recent years that more and more halal alternatives of Chinese food have, have came up you know, along the years uh, yes. food like beef noodles is coming more, more and more uh, common and we are all so grateful for Inchik Tan always for bringing yeah. you know, and, and, and all this into our community for Muslims and and yeah you know this is, is we, are, we are East in many aspects but for certain foods like maybe uh, pork and or maybe alcohol did you find it hard to adapt to these particular guidelines you know when it came to Islam in terms of pork or even alcohol I would say that for me it's then when I actually started with my conversion yeah. it's more leaning towards yeah. alcohol To be honest, it's not about really loving the taste of alcohol or Mm. missing the taste of pork. It's more towards missing the company of people who is around you at that point of time. So, especially when I used to do a lot of hangout sessions last time Mm -hmm. with my friends. So, those bonding sessions with the friends have actually reduced and of course, lesser nightlife (laughs) in terms of Mm. uh, the haram aspect. But, On the other hand, there's blessings to it because I see an increase in my bank account. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a matter of looking at where the blessings are instead of looking at what you have lost. So it becomes like a point where you start realizing about the small little things in your life and what were you previously not exactly thankful for because you were not aware. And now that you actually become more aware of it, so channeling all these extra savings that I get into more yeah. meaningful causes has actually also built a different sense of light to my life as well. <laughs> to know others who have benefited from it and it's actually happy with that, with that yeah. giving. Yeah, I'm surprised because it feels like, you know, just a change in your dietary habits kind of resulted in a holistic improvement in your lifestyle. So it's, it's, yeah. it's so good to hear, you know, it's so good to, to know that there are, there are people that, you know, from a non-Muslim background, they come into Islam and, and their life quality has improved just because of the aspect they, they eat better. They, they follow yeah. our Islamic uh, guidelines for, for diet. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing with us, Sis Rabia. And uh, inshallah, uh, we will be moving on to the next episode later on uh, where we talk about the etiquettes of eating. So we've okay. talked about whether uh, permissibility and all. And next, we'll move on yeah. to slightly advanced form of you know eating as Muslims. We have certain etiquettes that we follow. So for those of you guys who are interested, catch us next episode on the etiquettes of eating in Islam. But for now, we will end the episode talking about permissibility 
and uh, in in our dietary requirements in Islam uh, by reciting Tasbih Farah and Surah Al-Asr. Alhamdulillah, thank you so much this, uh, Rabia for joining us tonight and we will see all of you guys on the next episode. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.